Are you ready for God's word today? Yes. All right. Me too. I'm ready to dive in. Um, we are in a series that we called Relationship Myths. Relationship Myths. And we, what we said is there's sometimes spoken and unspoken. There are some myths about relationships. There's some expectations and things we kind of think and hope, but in reality, things don't always work that way. And so we're kind of exposing some relationship myths. And so if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter six today, uh, we're going to talk about another, I think it's a big myth. Um, it's not spoken of a lot, but um, I think think it's expected a lot sometimes. And so we're going to talk about it together. Uh, and so if you're there in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, I'm going to read several verses together. Um, and these are not typical relationship necessarily verses, but I, I think there's an application. And then we're going to talk about some things today that I believe will help you. Luke chapter 6, verse 27, this is Jesus talking. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Somebody said, I dated that guy. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's terrible. Terrible. Um, I, we could actually, you know, think about it, as powerful as that verse, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Couldn't we just stop right there and go home and probably all of us have something to work on? Because probably when I read that verse, you thought about somebody, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, verse 29, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. I was asked one time, pastor, what happens when they strike me on the cheek, I offer the other cheek and they strike me again. I said, turn around, you got two more cheeks on the other side. So... <laughs> just trying to help. <laughs> Offer the other to, one who takes away your, to the one who takes away your cloak. Do not withhold your tunic. Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods. Do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. There's a good relationship principle right there. Just treat others the way you want to be treated. Come on, somebody. Verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that? Look at the standard Jesus is setting for relationships. It's not just re you know, reciprocity. It's like, no, you do without expectation. You, you do without expectation. You do good. You love. You give without expectation. It's just an incredible standard. This was all revolutionary teaching in their culture, right? Because their culture was an eye for an eye. Are you with me? And Jesus is like, no, if they want your eye, give them your arm. You know what I mean? He's like, body parts on. Anyways, all right, so... Verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Look at that, look at that verse and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Now look at verse 37, very famous verse here, uh, 37, 38, two famous verses or well-known verses. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and it will be forgiven. And by the way, I have to put a time out here. I didn't say this in the nine because the Holy Spirit didn't prompt me. I felt so prompted just as we were in worship today to tell someone here, you need to hear this, that you need to forgive. It's going to get better when you forgive. You think it's going to get better when they forgive. And you've dedicated your energy and your effort to trying to convince them to make it right. But God gave us a gift called forgiveness where we can make it right when other people do it wrong. And it will get better not when they get it right or make it right. It'll get better when you forgive. Okay? And that's four sides. I don't know if you're watching online or you're in the room. But forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Come on, somebody. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I want to talk today about closing the expectation gap. Closing the expectation gap. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we are here in your presence. We need you. We need your help. We need your voice. We need your counsel. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. As we have opened the word of God today, we have not opened a book. 
we have opened something that is living and powerful and active. So God, that's what we ask. God, that it brings life, that it's living today. God, that it brings change, that it's powerful today. And God, that it does something because it is active. So let there be divine activity even in our hearts and lives today. Don't let us miss this opportunity with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I read this verse um, or this passage because it's really what I felt prompted to read. Because what I want to talk about is, the, is closing the expectation gap. Now, let me explain what, and, and this is kind of what happens. Let me, let me tell you what the myth is, and then we'll kind of work it out together. This myth, people don't come like sit in my office and tell me this, but if you listen, this is what you hear. The myth is that I can expect more from a relationship than I put into a relationship. That's the myth. And people don't come in and say, well, I'm not putting much into it, but I expect a lot from it. They don't come in and say that. What they come in and say is, this person's not meeting my expectations. I expected this and I'm getting this. What they come in and say is, I'm expecting them to make things better. I'm expecting them to make our relationship better. I'm expecting them to do some things and to make changes. And, and time out, while I will say it many times is necessary for that other person to do some things, you cannot control what that other person does. And, and you know what? It's hard being God. That's why we, we're not good at it. It's a lot of work. And it's a lot of work trying to get somebody else to do everything you want them to do. Boy, it got quiet in here. And so the myth is what, what I find a lot of times is, is, is someone will sit down and they'll tell me, well, she doesn't this and she doesn't that and I wish she would this and I wish she would that. And, and then he, she'll be over here saying, yeah, but he won't ever come home and he's all the time watching TV or at the golf course and, and he, won't, he won't connect with me. You know, and of course he's over here probably saying something like, she's no fun and won't have sex. You know what I mean? That's usually, I mean, there's a vast difference between most men and what they're looking for. Most women, you know, women, their number one need is security, which a lot of times has to do with emotional connectivity. Many times his, his number one need, by the way, is not sex, it's, res, it's respect and honor. Sex is usually number two for men. Sex for women is like number 13. It's like right after gardening, you know? And so, I mean, stereotypically, that's about where that one lands most of the time, right? That's an entirely different message that we could talk about. But the point is that they come in and they say, what would make this relationship better is if they would do something. And the expectation many times is, I, can, I don't need to do anything for things to get better. They need to do something. And the reality is when you read this text and you look at what Jesus is talking about, because he's talking about people that are hard to have a relationship with, maybe people that have wronged you, right? And he is putting the onus of a good relationship back on you saying, love your enemies. Do good when they do bad right? I mean, he's not sitting here saying, you're right, you're right, your enemies need to change. You're right, those people need to do bad. They need to straighten up. No, Jesus says, hey, if you want to be happy, you can't control them, but you can control you. Hey, if you want better relationships, even with difficult people, work on you because that will, that will create change in you. Sometimes you can't change the other person, but you can change you. In fact, let me say it again. You can never change the other person some of you have tried. <laughs> but you can change you. And so when we're talking about this gap in our expectation and what we're saying is, well, I want, and it could be a friendship, it could be a mother-daughter relationship, a familiar relationship or a marriage relationship or a dating relationship. And, and what we're saying, well, my expectation, this is what I want. This is the level of intimacy or this is the level of fun or this is the level of commitment or this is the level of trust or whatever it is. This is what I want, but I feel like this is what I've got. And many times when we experience those gaps, we think the way you close that gap is to get the other person to do something. 
But sometimes, in fact, many times, the way you close that gap is by what you do. And if we spend all of our time trying to get the other person to do something so we can finally close the expectation gap, then usually we end up with a lot of mad, frustrated people. But what this says, hey, judge not lest you be judged. Forgive, you'll be forgiven. And then this is what Jesus says, because with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Here's what he's saying. You can't expect more out of something than you put into something. You can't expect more out than you put in. And he's talking, a lot of times we use this verse talking about finances, but that's not the context. I mean, there's an application there, but that's not the context. The context is our relationship with people. Don't judge, don't condemn. If you judge, you'll be judged. If you condemn, you'll be condemned. But if you love, you'll be loved. And if you forgive, you'll be forgiven. Because he's saying, however you measure it, whatever you put in, that's what you can expect. But you cannot expect more than you put in. All right? Y'all want to talk about it today? All right, I'm going to give you, to me, I'm going to give you what I think are the, are the building blocks of a good relationship, and these are places to invest. This is the work you do from you to close the expectation gap. This is what you need to do, not what they need to do. Yes, they probably need to do it, but we're going to talk about us. This is what we need to do. If we want to have healthy relationships, we're going to build healthy relationships. Here's where I invest. Here's where I work. Number one, write this down. Take responsibility. Take responsibility. Genesis 3 verse 12. Now you say, well, this is all the way back to the garden. What does this have to do with relationships? Well, this is where the first one died. Right? This is where the first one went off the tracks. This was the first marriage, if you will, and, and the first train wreck, if you will. And, and so sometimes the best way, the best places to look, um, I, I remember most of you know my story, but I've said this before. If you're dating, I can identify. If you're engaged, I can identify. If, you, if you're married, I can identify. If you've gone through a divorce, I can identify. I went through a divorce. What, what I can say, one of the things that I did um, is I did an anatomy of the divorce. Not, I'm sorry, not anatomy, an autopsy. An autopsy of the divorce. In divorces, I'll probably, I don't know, maybe I'll say this every week, but in divorces, most of the time, they're bad. They're all bad. There's never a good one. And it was bad before it got bad, and then it got bad, right? And then it all blew up, but it'd been bad for a while. And, and divorces make it very easy to say it's all the other person's fault. But what I did is I went back and I said, I want to do the autopsy of what went wrong because regardless of what I think about it, I know I had a part. And I know not only did I have a part, I know it impacted me, affected me. I know it's, there's things broken and things not. And here's what I don't want. I want to make sure that if God blesses me with another relationship, which he has, that I don't bring them a pile of rubble of what I used to be and say, look, here you are. No, I want God. I want to get with God. Let God put it all back together. I want to understand who I am, understand who I need to be, understand what I need to do, understand what happened and be healthy and whole and healed so that I'm bringing a full and healthy me into a relationship because I don't ever want to do that again. Amen. Are you with me? And so sometimes it's good to go back to see what happened. And that's what we're doing in Genesis 3.12. It says, the man said to the, so, so you know the story. God said, Adam and Eve, hey, there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that fruit. Don't eat that fruit, Adam and Eve. You can eat every other tree, but don't eat it. And you know, the serpent shows up, Genesis 3, known as the fall of man. Here, here's what happens. When God confronts man about what happened, here's what Adam said. Then Adam said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Now, I will say, men, and you can back me up on this, they were married and she was naked. <laughs> and I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable, but just in case you want to be, your wife is not wearing clothes and says, eat this. You just eat it. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Anyways, all right, so, <laughs> but, um, but truthfully, theologically, that doesn't work out. But look at what Adam said. Adam, Adam, look at what he said. God said, God essentially said, what happened? This is what Adam said. The woman you gave me in a half a sentence, 
Adam blamed Eve and God. So number one, take responsibility because where this, where this relationship with, went wrong, where it crashed in the very beginning, the first thing we see in the autopsy of what happened here is we have the man saying, is the woman's fault or it was your fault, God, but it wasn't my fault. Isn't that interesting? The woman you gave me. Everybody's fault but mine. Well, let's look at what the woman said. Then the Lord said to the woman, well, well, what's this you have done? And the woman said, it was the serpent's fault. Do you see the problem here? No one in this relationship is taking responsibility for what has gone wrong in this relationship. No one in this relationship is being responsible for themselves or their actions or their decisions. Everyone is blaming everyone else. Usually, this is what we call day one of marriage counseling. When things have gone bad and a, and, and a couple shows up, usually they walk into one of our pastor's office or they go to a counselor's office and they start with, it's his fault or it's her fault. And what I'm telling you is if you want healthy relationships, the, the, the foundational building blocks of those healthy relationships where you need to close the expectation gap, where, where you need to get, get to work, if you will, one of the things on the checklist, however you want to put it is, before you ask them to take responsibility, ask yourself, are you taking responsibility? Am I taking responsibility for me? Am I taking responsibility for my emotion? Am I taking responsibility for my behavior? Look at this. Galatians 6, 5 says, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Um, do you remember how last week I told you one of the myths that we have in relationships? And it's, it's a true myth. And the, the myth is that the good parts in me are attracted to the good parts in them. And I'm not saying there's not an application there. Certainly, we're, we have good parts. We have bad parts. We'll talk about that in a minute. But many times what we find in relationships, if we're not careful, it's actually the unhealthy parts in us find the unhealthy parts in someone else. And that's where you get codependent relationships. That's where you get victims and rescuers and manipulators and controllers and those that can be manipulated and those that can be controlled. And, and that's where you get addicts and enablers. And, and you know, I mean, and, and the cycle goes on and on because so many times if we're not careful, if we're not whole, if we don't work on us, we, we actually get attracted to, because remember what we said, opposites attract. Isn't that true? And sometimes that's really good. And sometimes it's the broken opposites that are attracting. In fact, um, in life, here's what I've learned. In life and in relationships, there are people who are over-responsible. And there are also people who are under-responsible. And I have found many times they find each other and get married. And you'll have someone in the relationship that's over-responsible and someone that's under-responsible. So I thought for fun, we'd talk about that. So let me give you the traits. <laughs> let me give you the traits of an under-responsible person. So this is a person who is under-responsible, meaning they're not fully owning themselves. Let me, let me give you the traits. Number one, guess what? Blame. The woman you gave me, God. Right? Blame. This is a person that, that always seems to lay the blame as somebody else's to, to deal with. Number two, under, a trait of an under-responsible person is dependency. They need someone else to fix it, someone else to do it, someone else to manage it. And even when it comes to their own emotional state, they need someone else to help regulate how they feel. Dependency. Uh, number three, excuses. If blame won't work, we'll just say, well, I, you know, I didn't mean to, or I don't know, or I was busy, or I, you can't expect that, or it got hot, it got cold, the time changed, I don't know. Excuses. Number four is entitlement. They just have a different set of rules. They can be late and it doesn't really matter, you know, because it was them. <laughs> you know, everybody else needed to meet a deadline, but not them. It didn't, the deadline didn't matter to them because it's them. Right? They just have a different set of expectations and, and entitlement. And number five, they can't apologize. Can't apologize. An under-responsible person can't apologize. Do you know why? Because an apology says, I'm at fault. I'm now taking responsibility for what I did. So an under-responsible person, when they apologize, guess what it sounds like? Well, okay, fine, fine. I guess if you'll just be happy, I'll just say, fine, I'm sorry. You're not going to leave me alone until I just tell you, I'm sorry. So fine, fine. Yep, all my fault. It's always my fault. It's always going to be my fault. And what, here's what they do. They make you feel bad for asking them to take responsibility for what they did. 
Praise the Lord. <laughs> traits of an unresponsible person. Let's talk about traits of the over-responsible person. Over-responsible person, number one, self-blame. They start with themselves every time. It's all my fault. I should have done it. I know, I know it's my fault. I did it again. Even if the other person's at fault, they, well, I know I made you do it. I know if had I done this, you wouldn't have done that. I know ultimately I should have done something different. They, they blame themselves. Number two, they're the fixer. I got to fix it. I got to make it right. Even if they did it, they tore it up. They messed it up. They did. Okay, well, I'll make it right. They offend you, but now you're apologizing, even though they're the ones that actually hurt you because you just want peace and you want things. So you're the fixer. Number, number three characteristic of the over-responsible is they take responsibility for the other person's emotions. Meaning when the other person isn't, this is really, there's a clinical term for this called emotional enmeshment. And what that means, when the other person's unhappy, they're unhappy until they can get the other person to be happy so they can be happy. So they have to mirror the emotion of the other person in order to try to change it. So when they're upset, they're like, oh my gosh, they're upset. Let me get in here and try to make it okay because now I'm upset because they're upset. If I can get them not to be upset, then I don't have to be upset. That's called enmeshment or codependency, right? And so, but the thing is, I'm going to own their emotion, I'm going to own their emotion and I'm going to try to help them with their emotion. And if he's angry, I'm going to try to get in there and calm him down. And if she's, you know, feeling down, I'm going to get in there and try to cheer her up. And I'm not saying you shouldn't care. I'm not saying you shouldn't be empathic, but there's a difference between caring for someone and trying to regulate someone else's emotion. Are you with me? Right. And then the fourth characteristic of the over-responsible is they're overly apologetic. My fault, my fault, it's all my fault. So let's talk about the traits of a responsible person. Let me give you four. Number one, they admit when they're wrong. I mean, it's just that simple. I was wrong. This is on me. Let me take responsibility and see what I need to do next. Number two, they own their own emotions. In other words, if I'm upset, you don't have to change your behavior because I'm upset. I.e., you don't have to walk on eggshells around me. Right? Because someone that can't, can't regulate their own emotion, they can't control their own, they're not responsible for who they are, they get upset, everybody's got to hide. They get upset, everybody's got to walk on eggshells. Don't ask about this, it's a bad time to bring this up, you shouldn't have brought this up, blah, blah, blah. And, and all of a sudden, everybody's got to move around their emotion because they can't own their emotion. But a responsible person says, no, I can be upset and still sit down and have a good conversation. I can be upset and not use anything against you. I can be struggling and still function. And I don't have to make it your fault or your responsibility. I, I, this is something I'm dealing with, right? That's, that's what a responsible person says. And they don't make excuses. Responsible people don't make excuses. And number four, responsible people are dependable. Dependable means they say what they do and do what they say. They say they're going to be there, they're going to be there. If they can't be there, they take responsibility, they text. You know, they, they say what they say, they do what they do. Um, their yes is yes, their no is no, right? Because how many know in relationships... A lot of times, and, and I've struggled with this, but sometimes you get a, a, a pleaser. Someone wants to be a people pleaser. Well, we all want people to like us. And sometimes we feel pressure to make commitments we can't keep, right? But the truth is, in relationships, being responsible sometimes means I just can't do that. I'd like to, but I can't. Because it's better to tell someone I can't or no than to tell them yes and not follow through. Does that make sense? So it's, it's, that's what dependable looks like. Dependable doesn't mean you do everything the other person thinks you need to do when you need to do it. Dependable means what I say, I'll do. And listen to me, if I make a commitment, I'm, I'm only going to make commitments I can keep because I'm going to follow through on the commitments that I make. Are, are you with me? And so when we're talking about healthy relationships, if we, if we want to close that expectation gap, sometimes the way to close it is not expecting them to do something, but saying, hey, maybe there's some areas in here where I can be more responsible for me, more responsible for me, for myself, for what's going on with me. Here's the number two thing, build trust. Like we're talking about investing. I can't get out what I don't put in. So I want to build trust. Um, trust in, enables attachment. You, you can't attach to or bond with people. There's, there's got to be a bond of trust there. And trust is what makes intimacy possible. Now, I know when you say intimacy, all the women are like, oh, and all the men are like, what is that? Um, <laughs> intimate what? Um <laughs> I just wish you would, Pastor, but just be intimate. Well, I'm going to tell you that, you know, let me tell you this. This might be helpful. Um, many times, not in every case, but many times, 
women are physically modest, men are emotionally modest. What I mean by that is it's got to be a very safe environment usually for them to talk about their feelings if they will at all. And sometimes as men, we just don't even know what the feeling is yet. It may take us three years to figure it out. We're just not as in tune, right? You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> but I'm just saying, ladies, you know, when we're talking about building trust, so many times ladies will say, I wish he was more intimate. He'd share his feelings. It's going to have to be a very, very, very safe, safe environment. Just like when a man says, well, I just wish she was more sexual or more uh, physical or whatever. It's like, well, how safe is the environment for that? It has to be a safe environment for that. Um, so when we're talking about trust, we want trust because it creates a place for intimacy. And intimacy, let me give you an easy way to think of it, it's into me you see. In other words, I, if I'm going to let you see what all is going on on the inside, I've got to have trust. And one of the key areas I have to trust is um, that you're not going to use that against me later down the road, right? But if you want to see inside, then there's got to be trust. And when trust is high, listen, when trust is high, anxiety is low, because things feel safe. When trust is high, things feel secure. When trust is high, things feel peaceful and things can be at rest in a relationship, in a home. So we, we want trust and this is a great place. Like if you're not getting something out of the relationship that you think you should begin, check and say, D have I done the work to really build trust here? Or is there more work required? Let, let's talk about what that means to build trust. Proverbs 31, 11 it says this, it says, her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm all the days of her life. Look at what that says. Her husband can trust her. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine. I thought this was interesting. I didn't have time to look it up, but he was he had, uh, a pastor friend and he'd read a, an article, I think, or a blog or something from a counselor. But it says here, she brings him good and not harm. He said, you know, one of the ways men feel loved is if, if their wife just doesn't create problems for him. Just don't create a problem for me. He said, ironically, a lot of times wives feel loved when the husband solves a problem. <laughs> I'm like, there's a little truth in that, you know. But, but anyways, I, and then when he was saying that, I was thinking about this verse because I knew what I was going to be talking about. I'm like, oh yeah, she brings him good and not harm, you know. And so he trusts her that his life being rich. Now, I want you to understand this is a principle because we could change out the pronouns. It says um, her, you know, it says her husband can trust her. We could put his wife can trust him and he will enrich her life and he will bring her good and not harm her all the days of her life. The principle would still be the same. It's, it's interesting though, when you look at this word trust in the Hebrew, it actually, one of the definitions is to be careless to be careless. And when you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Remember how years ago they did the team building exercises where you did the trust falls? Do y'all remember that? I never trusted anybody enough to do that because I'm a big boy. And uh, gravity has a, it's a stronghold on my life. You know, it is. And uh, the scale reminds me that gravity is still fully in effect. Um, but, you know, but the idea was you could be careless and just fall back and they, and they would catch you. And that's really what the word, the word picture for trust is, that you can be absolutely uh, careless. And really, that's what we want in, in relationships. We want to just, I don't want to have to filter. I don't want to have to try to get the words just right or get the timing just right if I need to talk to you about something. I just want to be able to be me. I don't want to have to modify me to keep us from having trouble. I want to be able to be fully me as wild and crazy as I am, right? And I want to be able to say not mean things, but just speak freely and to not think this is going to be used against me later or if I don't measure my words just right, it's going to set off the other person. Or You see what I'm saying? We really, that's what we want in relationships. We want it to be careless in that we want to have that kind of freedom uh, in, in the relationship. When it comes to trust, I think one of the great misconceptions, and maybe it's not a misconception, I would say it's partially right because I will hear people say, well, trust has to be earned. And that's partly true. I mean, that application works, but let me explain. The truth is trust has to be given. It doesn't matter what they do. You will have to decide to give trust or to not give trust. We decide to trust or not trust. It doesn't matter what they do. So a lot of times when people say trust has to be earned, what it is is I'm not taking responsibility for, for my decision either to trust or not trust. 
Or if there's a reason why I can't trust, I'm not taking responsibility for, for me in explaining why I don't feel like I can give trust at the moment. But the way I say, well, the, the, the trust just takes time. And it, and it does. And when we say trust takes time, let me explain what we mean. Because truthfully, trust takes time. But I would say this way, trust takes good time. Um, do you remember, and by the way, if, if you're in a relationship and you have broken trust, meaning you're the offender, whatever that is, you don't get to set the clock for when trust is given again. Right? Because it will take some time, but I want to talk to you about the kind of time it takes. Because how many know if, if you break trust with someone, you make a mistake, you hurt them, whatever the case may be, right? And trust is severed or broken or damaged, then you can't just go sit and time out for six months and say, well, I've been, I've been waiting six months for you to trust me. Well, that didn't, that didn't show me anything. That just showed me you could wait six months, right? See, there's a difference between time and good time. See, Good time, if you remember when Jesus tells the parable about the man who owned the vineyard and a tree was not bearing fruit and he said, cut it down. But then the man who managed the vineyard said, wait a second, give me a little time and let me dig and let me fertilize. Now that tree had had time, but didn't produce fruit. So the difference between bad time and good time was what was gonna be done during the time right? Because in this time, nothing had happened. But he said, if you'll give me a little more time, but let me bring in some, let me, let me do some work here. Then, then we'll see if it produces fruit. That's what I think about trust, especially if trust has been broken. It's not just time. You can know people a long time and not trust them. It's good time. What, what happened in that time? Did they prove they were trustworthy? Remember, trust, trust is about what we give. We give trust. And here's how we give trust. We give trust like we sit in a chair, right? When you came in today and you found wherever you're sitting and you looked at that chair, your thought was that chair will hold up what I'm about to place in it, right? And you sat down and it looks like the chairs worked. So what you determined was, listen, you're not, not, not like trust takes time. The evaluation is, is that trustworthy? Is it worthy of trust? Will it hold what I want to place in it? And not all relationships hold everything about your life, right? How many know there are walking sticks? There are walking canes. There are chairs, there are stools, there are recliners, there are beds. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Different things hold different weights in different parts of your life. Are you with me? So not all, every relationship are you supposed to go sit down, take your feet up and kick back. Some relationships are not there yet. Some relationships may never be there. It may never be worthy of that level of trust. So what I have to determine is what level of trustworthiness does this person have and then I choose to entrust what I know they'll hold up. And the more they hold that up, the more I can entrust to them. For instance, I have no problem sitting down on the chairs in this room, but I've been to places with those little plastic lawn chairs that called 87 cents down at, at Walmart or whatever. And people are like, here, take a seat. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is a lot. That chair won't hold this right? And if, and if I sit in that chair, I'm going out on the ground because my evaluation is it's not worth. Now I might place, you know, a book in it. I might even lean my hand on it. There, there's things it might hold, but it won't hold everything. And in, in relationships, especially our closest relationships, when, when there's a gap in expectations, sometimes it's a trust issue. And the question is, have I proven myself worthy of the level of trust that I expect from them or would appreciate from them? So let me tell you how to build trust. Components of trustworthiness. Let me, let me give you five really quickly. Number one, honesty, consistently honest. I'll tell you, y'all got time for a funny story? I'll tell you a funny story really quick. Um, so, you know, y'all know I'm engaged to Jana. Well, um, when, when it, a few months ago when it got in time and I knew this is it and I want to ask her Mary, but I didn't have a ring and I didn't know what kind of ring she wanted. And you kind of want to have a little bit of a surprise. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't want to just like, oh, honey, just pick one out. You know, I, I just, I'm a little bit more, I'm not quite like that. And so I was texting with her best friend in Houston. Says, is there any way you could get her to a jewelry store and try to find out what she might like and appreciate and all that? So she did. She sent some pictures to me. 
And I'm like, okay. And so I was down, I went, I'm off on Friday. So I drove down one Friday morning and met her. She was at work, but we met for lunch. And then she went back to work and I had a little time before the evening meal and kids and all the stuff we were doing. And so I led her to believe that I was going to Nordstrom's rack, which is believable because it's kind of a thing for me. It's like a field trip. And, and so there's a Nordstrom's rack by where she works and there's a Nordstrom's rack not, not far from where she lives. And, and so I led her to believe that I was on a Nordstrom's rack tour. I didn't lie to her. I just led her to believe it. And it bothered me because I felt like I'm, I'm not being completely honest. And I went and looked at rings and all that. Well, the next day we're driving past one of the Nordstrom's racks that I had led her to believe that I went to. And uh, she was like, well, hey, how is that one? And is it like the other? She starts asking me questions. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't go. I don't know anything about it. And I was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, okay, I got to confess something. I was not at that Nordstrom's rack. I was at the jewelry store. And, and I don't want to lie to you. And I'm not good at lying anyway. And I can't lie. And so I... I led you to believe that I was looking at shoes, but I was not. And uh, she was like, well, honey, you, you, you could have lied about that one. It was understandable, you know? And, and <laughs> I'm like, no, because I just like honesty. Like, you just, I like it. You know what I mean? I like that. I don't want to lie, you know? And, and, and so anyways, but this is how you build trustworthiness is, is are you consistently truthful, whether it's a big thing or a little thing? Even if it's like you got hung up at the office and truthfully you was talking to a friend of yours about a hunting story and then you get home and your wife may be a little upset because you told her you're going to be home at 5.30 and you didn't get home till 6 o'clock. And so you say, well, you know, the boss needed something. Well, he didn't need anything. Y'all are talking about animals, you know, and hunting and guns and stuff. You know, like, don't, you know, just be honest. Like, honey, I'm sorry. I lost track of time. You know, I was talking about deer, you know, whatever. Um, be consistently honest, big things and little things. Here's number two component of trustworthiness, uh, understanding. In other words, if you want me to trust you, I need to know that you understand some things about me, what's important to me, what my values are, why it's important to me, what's going on with me, how I feel about that. When you ask someone to trust you, what creates that trust is they need to know you understand where they're coming from. Does that make sense? So honestly, understand number three component of trustworthiness, motive. In other words, does trusting you bless you or me? Because we all know what it's like to be with that one person that said, trust me, but it's truthfully, they wanted you to trust them because it benefited them. But truthfully, we're establishing trust, then that person needs to know, you need to know if you trust me, it will bless you. That's the motive issue. So honestly, understanding motive. And number four, follow through. Do what you say, say what you do. Like when you want to build trust, when you got good time of building trust, just always say what, only say what you can do and only do what you say, but, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, as, as it were. Follow through when you say something and don't overcommit. I think it's always better to undercommit and overdeliver than to overcommit and underdeliver, especially in relationships. Because remember, we want there to be trust. And number five, consistency. In other words, maintain a good track record of consistency over time, right? Um, components of trustworthiness. So, so we want to take responsibility, we want to build trust. Number three, this one is we want to maintain boundaries. Uh, verse 23 of Proverbs 4, Proverbs 4, 23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Very familiar verse, but look what it says. Above everything, guard your heart. So, so the highest priority here is about maintaining something and it's your heart. Uh, the word heart in the Hebrew in this verse means your inner self. So your emotions, your feelings, your thoughts, your ideas, those type of things. Um, but the word guard actually has a lot of definitions, but one of them is uh, to besiege it. In other words, set up a guard around it. Or you could say put a boundary around it. Does that make sense? In other words, hold a boundary around your heart. Um, when we're talking about boundaries, let me let me give you um, let me give you something to uh, to think about here. Let me find this. Oh, there we are. Put that there. Yeah, we're gonna try something new, y'all. If this works, I may take on telestrating for football games and stuff. But when we're talking about boundaries. 
don't mess with me. <laughs> when we're talking about boundaries, we're really kind of talking about um, maybe a good analogy, a way to put it is like property lines. Meaning that, you know, if this, if this is you here, you know, then, then all of this becomes your property. And inside of that property, number one, you have control and you have freedom, but you're also responsible. And I'll just abbreviate that. So, so this is mine. Now, this may be, you know, Edwards, and this could be Felicia's. You know, I don't, those are interesting names. I, you, <laughs> I don't know. We, Juan and Maria. I don't know. I, it could be anything you want it to be. Um, but, but inside of this, look at this. When, when boundaries are about setting limits, but it's the limits of me. It's where I end and where someone else begins. Boundaries are about controlling me, not controlling someone else. You don't build a fence around someone else's property, right? See, I have control here. I have freedom. If I want hydrangeas in my yard, I can plant them. But it's going to be real weird if I go over to your yard and start planting flowers, Right? That's like, what are you doing? You're in my yard, but your, your yard needs to be prettier. What do you care about my yard? Get out of my yard. You know what I'm saying? In Texas, that's a good way to get lead poisoning, be in someone's yard too late. You know what I'm saying? And so, <laughs> praise the Lord. And so, and so this, this, is about, this is about controlling me and saying I'm responsible for me, right? Kind of the same way if you, have, if you have a house in the backyard, whatever goes on in that backyard, what's planted, the good parts of the backyard, the weeds, the pretty grass, the dead tree, the alive tree, whatever's back there, it's all yours to be responsible for because you, you have established some limits for you. And so here, I, you have control here. You have freedom. You can decide if I want hydrangeas, I want knockout roses, I want, you know, I don't know, whatever you want to plant back here. If you want to grow onions, it's up to you, right? But you are responsible for that. You're not responsible for what's going on over here. You're responsible for what's going on in here, right? And, th and this sets limits. Now, now these are not walls. Um, you could say it this way. There, there's like a gate here, Right? And, and, and so the gate allows me to open up and receive from other people. Like you can come into my yard, like you've got a T-bone, I've got a grill, let's have a party. You know what I mean? Like you can come over. So this allows me to, to receive good. But also let's say there's toxic person, something bad, people come in your yard, they make messes, they mess things up. Then I can close the gate and say, no, I think you're gonna have to stay out of the yard because every time, last time you came in, you nearly burned the house down. Like what were you thinking, Right? And this is, this is how we have, listen, you, to, to have a good relationship, you have to be able to choose connection to a person. But in order to choose connection, you have to own you and they have to own them. You have to know where you stop and where they start and they have to know where they stop and where you start so that you can choose connection, right? And then it has to be safe because if, if, you know, if they got a tree you know, in their yard, and that tree falls into your yard, how many know it's still their responsibility to get their tree out of your yard? In other words, if this person here starts bringing their garbage over into your yard, that's not right. That's when you say, oh, oh, you're gonna have to get your garbage and go back to your house, right? And I'm gonna close the gate because every time you get in here, you bring your stuff and you keep asking me to clean up your messes. You keep messing stuff up and bringing it into my yard and telling me it's mine, but truthfully, it's yours. So get your stuff, go back and get in your yard and you take care of that business. You keep making me want to be responsible for the weeds in your yard or better yet, you're over here talking about the weeds in my yard. Oh, I need to own my yard. You need to own your yard. This is called boundaries. This is where we set the limits. This is mine. This is yours. This is how we interact. Someone asked me one time, um, they said, uh, um, they said, what if you're at someone's house and things are toxic and it's hurtful or harmful to you? What I said is, well, you can't control someone's toxicity, but you can control your proximity. Meaning if they invite me to the barbecue and then they're barbecuing me, I'll just leave and go back to my yard. Does that make sense? Like, hey, it's so nice to be here. Oh, this got toxic. Hey, I can't control what you do in your yard, but I can control if I hang out there. 
Are you with me? So, so the work sometimes we need to do in relationships is fully owning me. Well, I have to identify what is me. I have to take responsibility and understand this is where I have control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control, not others' control. And what happens sometimes in relationships, one person keeps finding themselves in the other person's yard telling them what they need in their yard and what they need to change about their landscaping. And, and you got a person over here like, I'm gonna pluck weeds in your yard. No, this is my yard. You go pluck weeds in your yard. Are you with me? And so we wanna maintain boundaries. Now, the way we maintain boundaries, one of the keys, and by the way, this is a pro tip for dating, et cetera. One of the keys for maintaining boundaries is the word no. Because no is a boundary word. And you don't have to be, be mean about it. It's just saying no. No, I, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. Especially if you're a people pleaser, learn, get a better relationship with the word no. Not in any way to be mean, but it's just a way for you to own you. Like, no, I actually don't want to eat Chinese food. That's not mean to say, right? Are you with me? And if you're dating early on, you need to use no with the other person to see their response to it. Because if you use no and they get mad, run. And if you set a boundary and say no and they keep showing up with their garbage wanting you to take care of it, run. See, so you, you got to establish that early on and no is a good way. And again, it doesn't have to be even big things. Be like, no, I don't want to see that movie. No, I don't want to go out tonight. No, I don't want to eat Chinese food. No, you know, just simple no's and then watch how they respond when you set a boundary, right? Pro tip, it'll help you. All right, so set boundaries. And then number four, here's the last one. Here's the last. By the way, can I say this? Boundaries ensure that I become who God created me to be instead of whom someone else wants me to be. Okay, now, um, number four, stay in reality. This is a fun one. We're going back to the teleprompter here. Stay in reality. What, what do I mean by that? Well, here's a verse. This is from uh, Paul Philippians. He's writing the church of Philippi. And Paul says, I, I don't mean, this is Philippians 3.12. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus has first possessed me. So, so what is he saying? Here's what Paul's saying very shortly. I'm not there yet, and I know it, right? And what we know about Paul, Paul would share weaknesses that he had. He would say, oh, I'm a bondservant. I'm the least of the apostles. He, he wasn't trying to be self-deprecating. He was just trying to be in reality about where he was. He also would share things. Remember how he said, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm, I, I was trained a Pharisee, a Pharisee. I mean, he kind of gave us his resume. In other words, he talked about, here's some things I'm really good at. So I think Paul was in reality. And what I mean by being in reality is he understood strengths and weaknesses. I, I never get, there's a pastor friend of mine that I love to talk to. In fact, I saw him the other day. He's in Dallas. And uh, he always asks about y'all and, and everything. He's, he spoke here years ago. But he's 80-something he's years old, still going strong, still pastoring, just incredible guy. But I remember I made a point with him one time because I saw all these negative things in my life. And I didn't like these negative things. And I went and, and sat down with him and I said, I want to talk about these things that I see that I don't like. They're negative things. And we talked for about 30 minutes or so about these negative things. I see this and this and this, you know. And when I say negative things, I'm not saying like I killed someone and buried the body and still hadn't been caught, caught with it. I was saying things like I'm not really patient and I get frustrated and, you know, I'm not a good listener sometimes. And, you know, it was things like this that I had, had seen. And, and, uh, and he said, well, do you have any strengths? And I said, yeah, here's some things that I'm good at. I'm like, but I'm not here to talk about those things. I'm here to talk about these things. And he looked at me, and I'll never forget this. He said, I'm looking at a mature man. And I said, did you not hear the first 30 minutes where I explained, here's some problems that I want to work on, some negative things I've noticed about me that I sure would like, a, to, I want, like, help me. And he said, you know what I think maturity is? And I said, what? He said, maturity is when you can own the positives and the negatives and realize I'm not all bad, but I'm not all good. I'm just me. I think when we're talking about being in reality, we'll say these are our two people. Um, did I do that? Did it die? Come here. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> Next time I'll use colors. 
But here are two people, and let's just say, you know, this is one person. And when you get in a relationship with people, you, you notice usually the good in them. That's why you get in a relationship with them. Nothing wrong with that. We call, but, but this is a little bit idealistic, meaning I haven't been in a relationship a long time or, or maybe I haven't, haven't seen the negatives yet because how many know, I don't know about this, but when Jan and I started dating, how many know I was on my, I was on my best behavior? Like, I liked her. I said, this sweet little thing. I got it. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to burp out loud. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm going to, like, are you with me on this? Like, I'm not going to scratch. You know, whatever it is that y'all with me on best behavior. Like, I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to put on some smell them good. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to open doors. I'm on my best behavior because I like this girl. I want to impress them. And guys, that's human nature. There's nothing wrong with that. Praise the Lord. That's how most of us end up together is we, you know, we were on our best behavior. <laughs> and, 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 and then a few years goes along, right? And what happened is, you know, here we, we, we met this person and they're like, oh, they're, they're, you know, let's just say she met him. He is charming. He is romantic. He, he makes good money, works hard. I mean, these are all good things. Don't get me wrong, right? Like um, he's caring and, he, and he's kind. And then over here, he met her and he's like, she's hot. <laughs> Let's keep it real, everybody. She can cook. <laughs> Amen. Right? But, you know, she's sweet and, and she's supportive, you know, and, and the list would go on. And we find these good things about each other and, and, and they're ideal. I mean, that's wonderful. Those are good things. But, how I mean, you know, we're not all just like me. We're not all good. We're not all bad. Because when we get to know him, when we spend some time, then we find out, well, you know, he does, you know, he's not very patient. You know, and he, he's kind of got, he can kind of lose his cool. I'm not talking about toxic anger where we're, you know, hurting people. I'm just talking about he loses his cool, gets frustrated, you know, or, you know, we, we look and say, well, you know, I mean, he's probably not the best listener, <laughs> you know, like I keep having to repeat it, you know, it's kind of like my wife told me, you know, what, what was the joke? The, the guy said, my, my wife told me two things. Uh, I, I, number one, I'm not a good listener and I can't remember the other one. And so... <laughs> You know, you know what I'm saying? So, um, but, and then you meet her, you meet her and it's like, well, you know, she, her feelings seem, you know, she's pretty sensitive, you know, and I'm going to have to think about that. And, you know, she can, she can get frustrated at me and she keeps wanting me to take more baths and showers and look nice and smell better, you know, or whatever it is, you know? And, and so the truth of the matter is when we're talking about staying in reality, the problem is sometimes in relationships, we get ca caught up in this kind of this, this good side and we don't understand there's a bad side and we don't know how to marry the two, right? And, and we kind of move from, from idealization to devaluation in the relationship. Like, oh, they were perfect and oh, now they're terrible. No, they're not terrible and they weren't perfect. They're just them. Does that make sense? So being in reality about yourself, number one, is realizing I've got some good things. I've got some bad things. Like when, when we do interviews, we always ask people not what their strengths are. Everybody can tell you their strengths. In a relationship, you want a good dating question, what are your weaknesses? And if they're like, you know, kind of like in a job interview, you're asking somebody, what are your strengths? I'm an organizer. I'm a hard worker. What are your weaknesses? Well, I guess I work a lot. That's not a weakness. No, a weakness is I'm not good with communication. A, weak, a weakness is I'm, not all, I'm insecure and sometimes I don't work well with others. Those are weaknesses. Like sometimes re, people reframe a strength as a weakness. In a dating relationship, it's good to say, you know, we're, we're, we're cruising along here because, you know, you smell good and you look good and you're really kind, but I'm smart enough to know you're not perfect. I want to find out what's going on this other side because reality is about saying this is who they are. You know, my parents have been married 673 years. And, um, but if you were to talk to either of them, one of the reasons they're so happy is you could talk to my mom. Now, if you ask my mom about my dad, she's going to give you about 87 things that are amazing. But if you said, well, what are his weaknesses? She can tell you. And she knows when she runs into one of his weaknesses. And it doesn't shock her. They've been married 800 years, Right. But she's like, no, that's my sweetie right there. That's my guy, you know. And my dad's the same way. You ask my dad about my mom, and he will convince you that my mom has hung the moon seven times over. 
But if you said, now be honest, what, what are Sue's struggles or things that y'all have had to work through? He could say, well, here's some things. And I know when I run into those things, you know, I remember talking to my mom one day. She's like, well, I made your dad mad with me. <laughs> you know, she's like, I apologize, but I upset him. I hurt his feelings. You know I mean? That's a normal thing. But these are people, see, they're in a relationship and they know the good and the bad. And they're like, you're not all bad. You're not all good. You're you. And I can embrace that. That's reality. And so when I run into a negative, I don't have to get rid of this relationship or think that you're the, the devil's twin sister or something like that. <laughs> I don't have to devalue just like I don't have to escalate to an extreme value, right? I de, you know, ideal, ideologically or yes, idealization. That's the word I'm looking for. Idealization, devaluation. What happens sometimes people are just bouncing. They can never level out because like he's perfect, he's terrible. He's perfect, he's terrible. She's perfect, she's terrible. She's perfect, she's terrible. And all they're doing is they're just ping-ponging back and forth in these things. But what if you said, no, this is all them good and bad. I accept them and love them. And this is all me, good and bad. Accept me and love me and know me. Have grace for me. I'll have grace for you. And that keeps us planted in reality. Does that make sense? Listen, many times closing the gap of expectation, we, we want it to be the work the other person needs to do. Many times it's the work we need to do. But if we'll do that work, it will close that gap. Amen. Can you give God praise today? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray together. God's so good, isn't he? And God's the authority on relationships. And that's why it's a great place to talk about relationships in his house with his people, with his word, because he's the one that came up with the idea for relationships. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come. We end all of our worship experiences with a time of prayer for anyone who needs prayer. And so today, if you need prayer for you, if you need prayer for a relationship, if you need prayer for your relationship with God, we're here for all of those. It'd be our honor to serve you. And if you're online and need prayer, you can text my pathway prayer to, to 94,000. Um, but I want us to pray. Will you bow your heads with me? Take a moment. God, we just thank you for your goodness, God, for your grace. God, that you are the relationship expert. You're the authority because you're the author. Lord, I just pray today as we've opened your word, I just pray it would be helpful. Lord, I pray today you'd help us forgive. Today, God, you'd help us to own ourselves, to be responsible for us. God, to build trust, to have boundaries and to stay in reality. Help us do those things so we can succeed. Speak to us, God, today about what we may need to do. And we're gonna trust you. We're gonna trust the other person to you or the other people to you. Would you take a moment, just bow your head and ask God what he's saying to you. Just humbly just say, God, what are you saying to me? And, and, and God, he may speak to you about something we talked about and it may be something else. It doesn't matter. We just want to hear God today. And so God, I pray you'd speak to every person who's opened their heart and say, God, speak to me. And God, I pray you'd speak a word to every person if it's about relationships or about something else. God, we just, we wait to hear from you. And God, I pray if there's anyone in this room that are watching online that needs a relationship with you, God, I pray, God, that you would draw them, speak to them, and draw them to you today. With, with their heads bowed, I just want to take a moment and give an opportunity if anyone's in this room and you're like, hey, maybe you've been coming to church your whole life, but you'd be honest and say, I don't have a good relationship with God. Or I've never really had a relationship with God. I'm not talking about a pray to prayer or read a Bible. I'm talking about what you, when we talk about relationships, talking, interacting, learning from, enjoying, loving, receiving love, that's a relationship. And if you're like, I've never had that with God, but that's what I want, I'd love to pray for you. So no one's looking around, but if that's you, I'd love to pray for you. And so I'm just gonna ask you right now, I wanna count three, just stick your hand. Say, that's me, I need a good relationship with God. Ready, one, two, three. Just put that hand up and say, that's me. I need a, yeah, God bless you. Thank you. Yeah, God bless you. Awesome. Wonderful. I'm just going to pray for you if you lifted your hand or if, even if you're online. We're just going to pray together. And the, the words are not important. It's the heart. The Bible says, with our heart, we believe. And with our mouth, we confess that Jesus is Lord. That's, that's how we're saved. That's, 
And so that's what's important, but I'll help you just in case you're like, I don't know, what do I say? Well, you would say something like this, just, and you can say this to God, your own words, but you would say, God, I believe in you and I believe in your son, Jesus. I want you to be my savior and my Lord. I want a relationship with you. Forgive me of anything that separates me from you, any mistakes I've made, sins I've committed. Help me to follow you and to pursue a good relationship with you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. God, I pray as they pray that prayer, God, you'd reveal yourself to them. You'd speak to them. Let them know, God, you've heard them and you've responded. You love them and you're choosing a relationship with them. In fact, you chose a relationship with them 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. God, help us all in our relationship with you and help us in our relationship with each other. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, can you give Jesus praise one more time? Yeah. God is so good. Listen, uh, if you need prayer, if you lifted your hand or you need prayer, please come. We'd love to pray with you. Everyone else, we say a big God bless you. We love you so much. Have a wonderful week, and we will see you either sometime during this week or next weekend. God bless you.